Hi everyone, you're listening to Humanize Your Workplace with Alyssa Carpenter, where we chat about all things, well, human. On each of these bite-sized episodes, I'll give you something new to try to become more self-aware, help you build better work relationships, or just try to get you through a sticky work situation. It all starts with an open mind and a conversation. everyone. On this week's episode of Humanize Your Workplace, we're joined by Dan Frutiger. He comes from the Midwestern U.S. while growing up in so many different places. Some of these places include Costa Rica, Nicaragua, and Mexico. But he's made Southern California his home for many years. Dan's experience includes a career in developing and implementing mentoring programs, outside sales, and learning and development with various organizations over the years. Thanks so much, Dan, for coming. And I'm so sorry. I know I butchered your name. I tried really hard. Not a problem. I'm pleased to be here. Thank you. And uh, yeah, that's a fun last name. So don't worry. Not the first. (laughs) I'm going to get it. I'm really going to get it. Uh, Well, as long as we're talking, who cares? (laughs) This is true. No, I would, I love to kind of kick things off and I I really enjoy your energy and excitement. And I'm, I'm just curious, who really would you like to thank or who's inspired you to be either the professional you are today, the person who's been your mentor through kind of your growing career? Yeah. Wow. That's a, you know, it's, it's funny because we are pretty much a collage of the people that we meet throughout life and that does include and I'm glad that you qualified it as professionally because that kind of narrows it a little bit um so I you know I've had bosses that are great bosses I've had you know people who have influenced me that were not so great but I still learned from them uh one of the things that you learn when you're in a I don't know if I want to use the strongest word is toxic but when you're in a mm-hmm. tough situation you learn to either become bitter or better. And I learned a lot younger just to become better and learn from it. And so everyone's pretty much contributed. But if I had to pick one, there was a gentleman back many years ago by the name of Phil Hyde when I was going through a personal uh, challenge. And as a matter of fact, when he interviewed me, I tried to talk him out of hiring me. I told him all the I told him all the reasons why I wasn't qualified personally. And he just kept looking at me and saying, you know what? I'm not the one saying you're not qualified here. And so finally he gave me the opportunity and it was a wonderful experience. I was challenged. I was, and I grew, ended up taking on multiple responsibilities and also was able to finish my college education. And so it was a really great experience. So I would have to say Phil Hyde, who who is no longer with us, but is definitely with me in my heart and in my, and in my memories. I'm so intrigued by that. So you applied for a job, got the interview, and during the interview process, you sold yourself sort of, but on the same time in the same place said, I might not be the best person for the job. Tell me more. <laughs> Completely. It was really funny because he had contacted me initially, and at the time I was interested, but it was, a few months went by. And I thought it was just pretty much, you know, I was out of the equation at that point. And so all of a sudden I received this phone call and I told him, I said, well, I'm probably not the person you want to talk to. And it, because it was related to uh, creating mentoring programs for students. And I personally was going through a divorce at the time. And so I told him 
he said, well, let's sit down and, and talk anyway. I was like, all right. So I met with him. And as we got to talking and he said, you know what? I think you're exactly who I need. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was the best. I was there for, you know, several years. And uh, not only professionally did I learn a lot, but even, you know, personally I grew as well and was able to become a more confident person. And uh, yeah, it was really, a, a, he took a big chance. I'll just say that. He took a big chance for somebody going through divorce to influence students. That's a, a big risk. But I, well, there's so many things that I love about your story, but I think it's so interesting because I talk a lot about right. bringing your whole self to work. And I think so many times we try to compartmentalize our personal from our professional self and you kind of laid it all on the table and that's actually what got you <laughs> the job. At the end of the day, it was you for you and everything you're going through. Yeah. Well, and especially during that time, because this was, um, many, many years ago. And so this was a time when vulnerability wasn't really praised at the time. Mm -hmm. But it's something that I learned early on, you know, that and at that time, even I was learning to be more honest with myself and with the people around me. And I knew that if this was a meant to be situation, I had to be honest and upfront. And sure enough, it was one of those meant to be situations and really changed a lot of the direction of my life at that point. That's incredible. And I am curious because you grew up in so many different places. You have Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Mexico. How has that influenced really your current role or, you know, how you got to where you are today? Because I, I imagine that plays such a large part in how you identify with other people and have conversations, especially in learning and development. Well, yeah. And, and I was really fortunate to be raised at a younger age. And if you know anything about linguistics, you know that when you're younger, you instinctively pick up a lot of the nuances and enunciation of other languages a lot easier. And so fortunately for me, I've had people throughout my life that I've been able to keep, you know, practicing my Spanish. And so here it's been many years that I've been living in Southern California, which as you can imagine brings a huge advantage. Yeah. And so um, I've been able to maintain it conversationally and the company that I work for right now, we employ uh, almost 90% of our employees are Hispanic women. And we're a retail company. And so probably 95% of my seminars, I'm presenting completely in Spanish. And so this last, you know, uh, couple years, especially, actually the last four years, especially, my uh, vocabulary has grown exponentially. <laughs> I can only imagine. That's yeah, so it's wonderful. I feel very fortunate. I'm, I was actually born in Des Moines. Uh, I couldn't tell you much about it. I, we left when I was like two years old. But it freaks people out when this white boy starts speaking <laughs> without any accent. And the first question is, where are you from? And they think I'm from South America or something. And I'm like, no, I was born here in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I, I can only imagine how the people in your seminar feel. You're not trying to have them learn a different language. You're getting to where they are, meeting them where they are, and creating the content and sharing the material. I, I imagine that feels comfortable for them. Well, I, growing up in the Hispanic culture, it's, it's really one that I favor. And so we have an immediate connection and I learned so much from them each session. And then, of course, I, I call on them to help me if I run into any, you know, interpretation help. 
And so they're very gracious. It's a very gracious community. And so we actually, you know, have a great connection, you know, at each session because they're intrigued by this situation where this American guy is speaking in Spanish, but then I'm wanting to continue to grow my, you know, vocabulary. And so they're very gracious about helping me if I get stuck on a word here or there. And it's a good experience. I enjoy it a lot. There's so much reciprocity in that. So you're helping them with some content. They're helping you with culture and language. It's more of yeah. a community, right? So you're not just their teacher, if you will. Exactly. And you know, as, as well as I do, the importance of connecting with the people that you're wanting to influence. And so I just feel very fortunate. That's so neat. And I'm just, I'm curious just from your experience, because a lot of organizations don't do that. So they'll, you know, have people whose primary language is Spanish and then they'll have all the trainings in English or all the programs or all conversations in English. Is there right. something that organizations can do that's essentially small hanging fruit or maybe bring in outside people? What have, what have you seen from your experience to help create a more inclusive culture with language? That's a great question, Alyssa. And this, this is going to be a really simple fix. But for instance, one of my... Um, special projects was to create an onboarding program. Uh, we have 88 stores and of course you can imagine each store having their own process for onboarding. Yeah. And so, uh, what I did is created a uh, PowerPoint, recorded it with narration, but here's the fix. I found a great online resource. It was only, it's like $3 a minute. You send it to them and they will literally put Spanish subtitles on the bottom of it. And this has been a, great solution for us because we have, again, everybody is supposed to be bilingual, and but Spanish is their first language. Right. And so if we can have it in English and with the subtitles, then of course they're able to associate the content in both languages. And it's just been such an easy, inexpensive fix for us. That's so interesting. I would love to hear the resource, just if, the, if it's something that's, is it open to the public for people to use? Yeah, absolutely. It's an online and I Oh, boy. I want to say it's uh, Revco. That's what I was thinking. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's a little more than the English subtitles. It's $3 a minute. But, oh, my gosh, it is so worth it. And it really does help to have those uh, down at the bottom. Now, having the advantage of speaking Spanish, you know, you can go in and you can also edit those and, you know, change any words. It's a challenge sometimes because, as you know, Spanish is much like English. You know, you have different dialects. And right. so it's really a challenge sometimes when you have people in your audience that are from Nicaragua, from uh, Tijuana, and then other people from Guatemala, and, and you want to be really careful about slang. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it can go really bad really quickly. Oh, man. Yeah, you can be swearing and not know it. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> Um, I want to switch gears for a moment because I know we've talked before and I know being a manager and being a leader is is really important to you. Can you share with us what your definition, either of them are? Are they the same? Are they different? How do you view manage management and leadership? Yeah, thanks, Liz. I'm, I'm actually, you're right. I'm very passionate about this because <clears throat> this is a direct um, I'd say a direct connection in regards to the humanizing the workplace, because unfortunately, <clears throat> in many cases, we have um, employers that their idea of a succession plan is taking somebody who is a good salesperson and making them a manager or a sales manager. Yes. And as you and I both know, 
just because they were a great performer, that doesn't qualify them to be a leader. And my right. my passion is if you're a manager, if you're overseeing one or or a hundred people, you have the opportunity to be a actual leader, an influencer. And so a manager to me is just somebody who is driven by data or driven by task. They are driven to accomplish sales numbers or getting certain projects completed, but people kind of fall down the line in terms of priority. Now, a leader is the exact opposite. A leader knows how to empower people and they're motivated by those people. And then the performance follows. And as you and I both know, being a leader and influencing and empowering people, then they're going to outperform anybody who's being driven just by task. And so to me, that's what differentiates is a manager is just trying to hit the numbers versus a leader who's really trying to build people and is motivated by encouraging them. I mean, I think you definitely hit the nail on the head. And it's funny because I, it, I don't want to say it seems so easy. It seems so simple. You know, you can't just tell people what to do and expect to do it. It's building that relationship, even showing how what they're doing impacts the mission right. and the vision of the organization. And I think it's it's those little things that make yeah. such a big difference in recruitment and retention and engagement. But we forget about it so many times. Right. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, we live in an age where this workforce, and it's not exclusive to age, but our workforce is more demanding than ever. And rightly so. This is something that, um, I, in my opinion, many organizations are, are really facing this challenge of, you know, you have a more established leadership who wants the results of new leadership, but don't know how to get there or don't want to get there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you have this new workforce going, well, we want to have a higher purpose. We want to be more engaged. We want to feel like we're contributing to something bigger than ourselves. And then you have a manager and they're going, well, just hit the numbers, okay? And it just kills the whole motivation. It kills the engagement. It kills the passion. And so this is where um, we're trying very hard to fill that gap. And it's so, I don't want to say it's easy to find a job now because that's not the case, but we have such a low unemployment rate. People can, you know, find a different job pretty quickly. So if you're not finding the connection, you're right. going to maybe find it somewhere else. And, and even what you were saying and going back to your earlier story about going through a divorce, like there was a connection with you and the supervisor at the time, like who saw something in you who, you know, wanted to bring you in, um, which would draw you more and you would work harder, I would assume, for him because he cared. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was giving me an opportunity. He knew I was hungry. He knew that I had a desire to grow. And this is, you know, a classic in our today's workforce. They want to have an opportunity to grow. They want an opportunity to go beyond just where they start. They see this as a career opportunity. But it's our job to make sure that not only are we inspiring them, but also giving them the opportunities. You know, it's 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 kind of like old parenting and new parenting, <laughs> new yes. parenting. We give them the opportunity to make mistakes and we still love them. Um, and in, unfortunately in many professional settings, there's no room for mistakes and they don't allow mistakes and they don't give approval if you make mistakes. And this is the opposite of what we need to do. We need to give them opportunities. Granted, we can control the outcome and we can control the level of mistakes that will allow, but the truth is they need to have that ability to try something new and make the mistakes so they can learn.
and still know that they have our approval and that's part of performance. I love that. Even, I mean, because I think we're afraid to let people make mistakes for it to impact the outcome of the organization, but we can in some way control the level of mistakes based on what type of work they're doing or what audience sees it or what stakeholders. So there's a way to let people fall um, while learning, while still being in a, a controlled environment, if you will, that won't impact huge um, on the organization. And I think that's our responsibility as leaders. I think our responsibility as leaders is to be prepared enough as we are. And this is the mentoring side of me coming out. But we as leaders have the responsibility to be engaged enough to know what their level of performance is and not set them up for failure. In at least not a big failure, but set them up where they are able to learn. And even if it's a small mistake or a big mistake, it's something that is controllable, but also something that is within their, I guess you would say, uh, skill level, mm-hmm. but not only skill level, but their comp- their competencies. You know, everybody is wired differently. And so oftentimes, even a good leader isn't always in touch with their team members' abilities and what not only their abilities, but what their preferences are. And what we want to do is we want to, if they're not doing something, I always tell people work is 80, 20, 80% of the time you should be enjoying what you're doing because it's what you like to do. 20% of it is just going to be work because that's why it's called work. (laughs) But if it ever ever switches and to where it's only 20% that you're enjoying, then you know what? You need to look for another job. Yeah. Uh, But the truth is as a leader, it's my responsibility to make sure that I'm in touch with my team and giving them that space to grow where they want to grow. Is there a story or an experience, whether it was somebody who did that for you, or you helped somebody find kind of the skills to become a leader? What yeah. what experiences have you had? Okay, so I'm laughing because it, I, I always go right to this one person who I love dearly. And when I met this person, they were a hot mess. They, <laughs> they had just um been through a tough situation they had just come out of actually doing some uh time <laughs> and they w- and they wanted to become a leader and i was think I-, I remember on the outside looking at them going oh this is never going to happen and it just was a matter of time of getting to know this person next thing you know they were my intern and they ended up taking over my job when i left to this day this person has grown to where they're running their own organization and just doing a fantastic job. But if you'd have seen them, you know, back when we started, um, you could have probably used the term of, you know, mentally challenged. Mm-hmm. And, but yet this person is so near and dear to my heart because I learned so much, not only about him and with him, but from him. He was just this amazing and is this amazing person. And uh, yeah, it just, you, you never know. You can't judge a book by the cover. You have to, sometimes the least likely, actually most of the time, the least likely person is the one who surfaces up. And we know this in business, you know, sometimes the least likely prospect is the one that comes and does business. It's, I love how you said, and you've been saying it continuously, it's, it's not just you giving knowledge to other people as, you know, as a leader, as a trainer, you're learning so much from them. And I, and 
that's exactly how I feel. Even just working in higher education when I was with students, I hope that they learned as much from me as I truly learned from them about myself, about the world. Um, You can learn from anybody, any age, any demographic, any experience. And it makes you, I think it makes you a better person and leader. Absolutely. And, And I think one of the hardest challenges for me was learning to even learn from people who I didn't feel deserved it. (laughs) <laughs> some people who you know uh you know we all run into people who we would categorize which you need to be careful about that but categorize people as arrogant or as somebody who even is not worth being respected my personal opinion is everybody deserves to be respected you can respect somebody and still disagree with them but that was a hard lesson for me to learn was i had a few people in my life that just were really not people that I liked a whole lot, but I still determined to learn from them. And I'm so glad I did. And that's a really a mindset shift. And I think it's something I, we all need to learn. And it happens to me, you know, often as you're talking with somebody and you are thinking, do I really think I can learn something from this person? And it's just adjusting. I can, they have something to offer this, you know, be engaged and enjoy this conversation. Right. Exactly. Yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. I do have one question about mentorship because that's also part of your role. Are there, if if organizations are thinking about starting a mentorship program or a reverse mentor program, are there Mm -hmm. specific elements that they should be thinking about, key components that they should focus on to make it a successful program? Yeah, I I believe there is. And, And this is where too often we are judging on the outside or even just through an interview um, how to, you know, categorize this person or how to read this person. And the mistake in that is that, you know, it's like dating. You know, when you're on the first date, you're always going to put your best foot forward. <laughs> yeah. then, you know, and, and oftentimes I hear people, you know, well, I interviewed this person. What happened to them? Where did they go? Because that's not the person that's working for me. And so what I try to encourage people to do is, well, instead of doing that, how about, I mean, not that that's not important. Obviously, when we interview people, we should be using behavioral questions and use the STAR method. But my, my long way of getting to it is this. Everybody needs a cause. Everybody needs a purpose. And I think if we can really focus on communicating the vision and mission of the organization, then you can see if they're going to embrace it or not. If they embrace it, that's a good sign. That means they're teachable. That means that they have passion behind what they do. Then on a simpler level, at least for us in retail, service is everything. And so after doing some research on surveys and so forth, I found that there are four key elements that everybody wants when they need service. One is courtesy. Everybody, if you use courteous words like thank you and you're welcome, may I, it makes somebody feel respected. Mm -hmm. The other is helpfulness. People want answers. They don't want to get bounced around. The other is empathy. Give the person the benefit of the doubt. Don't assume you know why they're angry or why they're doing what they're doing. And then finally is reassurance. We use words a lot like, oh, I can, or phrases like, I can help with that. Um, well, you've got the right person today. I'm going to make sure that we get you an answer before we hang up this phone. And this kind of service really is exemplifying what I would consider two main values that we would want to focus on in life and professionally, and that is love and respect. I believe that people will surface up when we give them that kind of respect and acceptance. 
then what happens is whatever our competencies are, whatever our hard skills are, they're going to throw themselves into it if they have a purpose that's bigger than themselves. If they grasp the mission of the organization, then you know they're going to grasp that and they're going to throw their whole self into what they're doing. That's To me, that is the fancy word for all of passion is really employee engagement. What we want is we want them to put the paycheck just second to passion. Uh, people that are motivated by people that are motivated by just the pay alone will never be satisfied because that's our human nature. But if we can give them the help them to grasp the mission and vision of the organization, now they're passionate and pay. Listen, pay is important, but it takes second place, and passion is what's motivating them. And but there's a lot of other dynamics. As a leader, if I'm not exemplifying that, then it's do as I say, not as I do. So it has to be something that I've embraced as well, because here's another phrase that I learned many years ago, more is caught than taught. So if I'm exemplifying it, they're going to catch that passion as well, and they're going to outperform any other method that I can impl implement you know, in the organization. So I know that's a long way of saying it, but <laughs> essentially I no, think I purpose, and, purpose and service are really the you know, two top things I think that people need you know, to go into a job and really give all of their, you know, ability and all their energy into it. And that really stuck out at me when you talked about the four elements of customer service, the courtesy, helpfulness, empathy, reassurance, and those mm -hmm. aren't, I don't think, just customer service. I think they're also leadership qualities, how you can have conversations with people, how you can show respect, how you can show um, appreciation. Yeah. I think it goes so much further. Thank you so oh, yeah. much for sharing that. Absolutely. That's, that's got to, for us, that's the core of, you know, not just in retail, but even here at the corporate level, that's our core of service uh, and really the simplest way to carry out, <clears throat> excuse me, our mission and our vision. Our mission and our, our motto here is to help others find what they want. And then, of course, our actual value behind that is service. Oh, I love that. And how can our audience get in touch with you if they want to talk more with you about your experience or looking for a role, want to maybe go into learning and development or be a better leader? Sure. Um, obviously, through LinkedIn is a great way. Um, just look up Dan Frutiger, F-R-U-T-I-G-E-R. Um, and I'll be happy to connect that way. And then also um, my email, dan.frutiger at gmail.com. Either way is, is perfect. Perfect. Thank you so much. Again, I really appreciate it, Dan. Uh, this is my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity, Alyssa. I'm, I'm so glad to have somebody like you who has a like mind on a lot of these things. Oh, thank you. And to our audience, if you have any other questions that you want to ask Dan or be covered in a future episode, just reach out to me on Twitter at not okay, that's okay. Until next time. Thanks again for listening. But did you know that you can leave me a voice message to answer any questions on an upcoming episode? Just go into the show notes and the link will be there at the bottom for you to send me that message. Have a great day.